All right. Good stuff. Children, you are dismissed. You can head on out to Children's Church. Thank you for your patience. I enjoyed everything about the music today. The vocalists, y'all, it was excellent, the instruments, but let me tell you something. Do you remember on Child of God, did you hear Rob's bass line? Man, he had to leave, but I, that was awesome. I really enjoyed music. Thank you, praise team. Thank you. Guys, we're in Joshua 11. If you're not there, please turn to Joshua 11. Today's sermon is titled, Freedom of the Will. I'm going to give you just a summary of the beginning of Joshua 11. Jabin, he is the king of Hazor. He heard of all that was happening in the southern region. Joshua and Israel destroyed the southern region, devoted it to destruction as he was commanded, and this king heard about it. So what he did is he gathered all the kings in the northern hill country, the Arabah, the lowlands. He, did, he got together the Canaanites from the east, the Canaanites from the west, basically all troops in the northern region of Canaan, they were called upon, and the Bible says it was like a great horde. It was like that of the sand on a seashore, many horses, many chariots. Uh, they all joined forces for the sole purpose of fighting against Israel. That's what's happening in the very first part of Joshua 11. But look at chapter, uh, that chapter 11, look at verse 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. God's given it to them. So Joshua and all his warriors, they fight And the Lord does give the enemy over to Israel, even striking the king king of Hazor, who formerly was the head of all these kingdoms that came out to fight. He was the one who orchestrated this great horde. So all of the cities and all of the kings Joshua captured and devoted to destruction just as he was commanded to do. That is what's happening in the beginning of Joshua 11. But where I want to take us today, where God led me, is I want to focus on the verses of 18 through 20. So look at Joshua 11, 18 through 20, because this is the heart of the text. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. Can we put that? uh, We don't have that verse, but everybody look in your Bibles for a second. Look in your Bibles. It was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts. What What was happening here? Well, look at the text. They should come against Israel. That was the Lord's doing that they should come against Israel. That they should be devoted to destruction. That was the Lord's doing that they should be devoted to destruction. That they should receive no mercy. That they should be destroyed. The Lord was commanding this. And how was he doing this? He hardened their hearts. It was the Lord's doing. I want to read a verse to you. Deuteronomy 
11:26 through 28 says this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Twice God says, I am commanding you today. And what He's commanding, He's saying, there's a choice here between blessing and curse, obedience and disobedience. See, the, the ability, church family, hear me for a second, the ability to make decisions without being coerced by an external force, that's the freedom of the will, okay? That's freedom of choice. Now, the Scriptures stress that people are confronted with free choices between good and evil and commands them to choose good. We'll see that in a second. However, we also find, and you know this to be true, that a person can have limitations placed upon their decision due to the bondage of sin. Folks, that's the enslaving power of sin, and that is the place where the heart really hardens is when you were enslaved to that sin. We see that in the world today. Deuteronomy 30.19, another wonderful verse. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Can the decisions that we make lead to the hardening of the heart? Absolutely. And can a hardened heart make poor decisions? Incorrect? Can we make wrong choices? Yes. But a hardened heart, you know what else? It can cause a person to choose death over life, to choose curse over the blessing. A hardened heart is the reason that our relationship suffers with God as well as with others. And let me, let's go ahead and define hardened because you're going to hear that word a lot. It's true that God gives people a stubborn heart. He can. Stubbornness is, is hardened, stiffened. But the key word to this, to really understand what we're talking about today, is strengthened. Hardening is strengthened. God can choose to strengthen the hardness of your already hard heart, and we're going to see that in the text. Why would God allow this? Have you ever talked to somebody, especially a non-believer? I watch a lot of stuff online, and I enjoy the debates, but one of the things that worldly people say is, there's a God. How can he allow this? Pointing the finger of blame at a God they don't even believe in, but it's okay to be angry with them. If there was a God, why would he allow babies to die? If there's a God, why would he allow so many good people to die in earthquakes and, and hurricanes? And if there's a God, why does there so much hate? Why can't we just get along? You know, God can't exist. God cannot exist. Why would a good God allow horrible things to happen? Why wouldn't He just make everything right? Why doesn't God snap His fingers? When that serpent entered that garden, why didn't He just snap His fingers and kill Satan? Why doesn't He snap His fingers now and just rid us of sin? Wouldn't that be the easiest thing to do if He's God? Why can't He just snap His fingers and make us the way He wants us to be and make everything right? Well, Folks, we have the freedom of the will. We are not programmed. We are not robots. We choose. 
Why do you think the Bible puts so much emphasis on discernment for us to possess and exercise discernment? Why does the Bible tell us to attain knowledge and apply that knowledge and wisdom? Because we choose. The verses that we just read and spoke of, life and death, blessing and curse, God says, choose life, choose blessing. You know, uh, this is an expression, maybe you've heard it, it's pretty famous, the same sun, the same sun that softens the wax, hardens the clay, meaning that the same gospel which melts some people to repentance can also harden others' hearts when they hear it. That is a truth. Hardened hearts are a reality for both believers and non-believers alike. So not only can we be responsible for the hardening of our hearts, but guess what? God Himself can harden hearts. So, is God to blame? Can we blame Him? I'd like to look at Pharaoh. I'm going to go all the way back to Exodus and look at Pharaoh. Let me talk to you about him for a second. See, God strengthened the resolve of Pharaoh's own heart. He did. He hardened his heart. Um, We see the words, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, but we also read that he hardened his own heart, meaning Pharaoh was responsible for this. Now, speaking of God, he is justly responding, justly responding to the wickedness of Pharaoh by strengthening his own resolve against him. And what I'm talking about is when Moses comes and encounters Pharaoh and is saying, let my people go. God sent me here on a mission to let my, where I'm freeing them from Egyptian slavery. That's the Pharaoh we're talking about. So he's strengthening this resolve. So is it unfair Is God going to condemn a man whose heart he has hardened? I mean, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is in control. God holds all things together. But what we see here is Pharaoh's free will and God's will for him meshing perfectly. Folks, this is not something I can teach you because a finite brain of the creature cannot understand the level of God here. We cannot understand how God's will and our will connect perfectly. It is a God thing. There are people that will try to explain it to you, lace up your shoes, and run as fast as you can when they begin to explain it because they're trying to put themselves on the same level as God. We cannot understand this. Our free will and God's sovereign will for us come together because God is sovereign even in our freedom of choice. Because think about it. Couldn't God has just as easily softened Pharaoh's heart? Wouldn't that have been the easy thing? I'll snap my fingers. I'll soften Pharaoh's heart in this matter. They'll let my people go. They don't have to cross the sea. I don't have to wipe out all these people. I snapped my fingers. No. It's very important to first note something. Please hear this. God did not create sin. Oh, so many people think he did. God did not create sin. God does not tempt us. God does not cause us to choose evil. Uh, He does not place the desire within us to choose to sin against him. Mm -mm. God cannot look upon sin. He doesn't condone it. He doesn't tolerate it. And guess what? He most definitely will not let it go unpunished. We see that in the Bible. So where does all this come from? If it's not from God, guess where it comes from? It comes from the creature and his or her freedom to choose. 
See, God is always perfect. God is always righteous. God is always holy. So this falls on us. So back to Pharaoh. I'm going to tell you something. He was not a godly man. He was definitely not innocent. I mean, if we go all the way back to when Moses was born, and we don't know if it was the same Pharaoh that when Moses was born that he encountered later, we're not sure. But the, Moses at, uh, the, the Pharaoh at Moses' birth wanted to kill every child that came out of the womb, every Israelite male baby that came out of the womb, kill him. And when that didn't work, he said, just throw him in the Nile River, okay? That's the Pharaoh back then. The Pharaoh he's encountering now, <laughs> he's a dictator who oversaw the abuse and he oversaw the oppression of the Israelites. He is not innocent. So, there were people that stood, I mean, like Pharaoh, unopposed in his evil actions. He was unopposed, but not by God. Not by God. Exodus 7, 3, 4. Let me prove a couple things for you. Exodus 7, 3, and 4. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, bring my hosts, my people of the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. What did it say? I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. That's God speaking. But look at Exodus 8.32. Exodus 8.32 says, But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Folks, both God and Pharaoh are active in the hardening of his heart. Now, it's an act of judgment. We see that today. It's an act of judgment. As God strengthened the hardness that was already present, and this judgment, folks, it's not only about the sinner. This judgment is also about God's purpose and His plans. See, in God's great work, He used sin and rebellion. He used the sin and rebellion of His creature to bring about His perfect plan. Romans 9, 17, and 18. It says this, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Folks, God had a purpose for Pharaoh. In Pharaoh's rebellion, God's might and glory were displayed. But before we begin to say this is unfair that God is punishing a man whose heart he hardened, it's God's fault. Poor Pharaoh. No. See, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you understand just what's happening to the Canaanites in this story, and I'm trying to help you understand what's happening in the world today. See, we have to realize something very important. Pharaoh got to witness firsthand proof of the miraculous events and the plagues that he was continually warned about. Over and over, Moses proclaimed these plagues and gave the warning. He saw them. Moses saw them, enslaved Israel, the people of Egypt. Everybody witnessed this thing. But Pharaoh continued to harden his own heart. You know what was happening? He was rejecting God. That is what Pharaoh was doing. 
Although God strengthened his resolve, he did. Ultimately, Pharaoh and Egypt, who brought these judgments on themselves, that's who did this. God just strengthened and gave them over, uh, gave them uh, over to their depravity. The rejection of God. The Canaanites that we're speaking about today, because believe me when I tell you, there are skeptics out there that go, the poor Canaanites. If he's a just God, if he's kind and loving, why would he wipe out so many people? This is an argument that is still relevant today, that is still fought, folks. They brought judgment on themselves. I'll get to that. I just lost my place. But I'll find it. You know, whether it was Pharaoh's pride or whether it was Pharaoh's arrogance, what it boiled down to was the rejection of God. And I know we look at the loss of life. I know we look at the loss of life with the Canaanites that we're speaking about, okay? And we can get upset when we think about the devoted to destruction. We can get upset. All those precious lives lost. But like Pharaoh, we have to understand the background of the Canaanite people. It's easy to make assumptions, you know. It's easy to go, well, why would God do that? Why couldn't he just fix this? Well, they were devoted to destruction, just like Pharaoh. See, Israel, folks, they were to be a witness to the one true living God, okay? This was to be, a, they were to be a witness for the world, starting with the surrounding nations. They were to influence, not be influenced. So the land that they were to settle, unfortunately, was filled with corruption and filled with perversion of the pagan nations who, guess what, rejected God. These people believing in God, for you, when we talk about these people, for you and I, believing in God's sovereignty, right, and His purposes, were actually beyond saving. That's hard to hear. They were actually beyond saving. Had they stayed, had Israel allowed these people to stay, right, and not been wiped out, they would have infected Israel greatly in their depravity, greatly. God could not allow this. And do you know how we know this is true? God proves the point. They left a remnant. They didn't wipe everything out. We're going to find out in the book of Judges just how much havoc these people are going to wreak. They left a remnant. And guess what? That remnant did infect Israel. And in fact, it caused them to disobey God. Why, God wanted them to establish themselves in this promised land, the perverse pagan culture that was left. Guess what? It led them to captivity. It led them to be disobedient in captivity. That's why God wanted them wiped out. So you can see and understand how serious an issue this is for these people to be devoted to destruction. The Canaanites were not good people, and God proved that point. So it would be their downfall, not eliminating them. It would be their downfall. The nation would find great, great trouble. So the people in Canaan were not ignorant of God in Israel. Remember, we hear this in the beginning of Joshua. They were not ignorant of God in Israel. They melted in fear. There was a great fear. You know, we know this because it's been stated previously. But these people were not innocent. They heard about God. They just chose to reject Him. How do we know this? Because we know about Rahab. Rahab was one of them. She heard, but she accepted Him, becoming a part of the nation. 
even of the messianic line, even of the line of David. Rahab heard, she turned towards God. So these people knew, these people knew. So God hardened their hearts. Now let me show you what this looks like. You're going to see not only Pharaoh, his background, not only the Canaanites, but picture the world today. Picture the world today. Let's look at Romans 1, 21 through 25. Let me read these to you. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they, you hear that? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, the choice is made, the hardness of heart, all boiled down to rejection. We have some bombshells today, culturally, don't we? With abortion and transgender, right? And the political arena, right? Deception and, and, and deceit. We have bombshells that we can look at. I look at them as blankets. As you continue to uncover sin after sin, the cultural things that are just plaguing us, you know what it all boils down to? The rejection of God. People today out in this world, that are for the craziest things, anti-Christ, right? Anti-Christian, anti-Bible, the craziest things. What they are doing, look past the sin, what they are doing is they are rejecting Jesus Christ. That is the world we live in. That is what Joshua faced in Canaan. That is what Moses faced with Pharaoh, the rejection of God. Everything we have discussed defines the world pretty well, doesn't it? Here's, my, here's the scary part. What about Christians? What about believers, right? What about hearts, our hearts and the choices we make in the freedom of our will? We're not talking about salvation. We're, we're there. We're there. But guess what can happen in your relationship? Hearts can be hardened. Again, I want to stress, I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm not talking about your guarantee of eternal life because you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about your everyday living where your heart can turn dull and harden. The heart, it's the hub of our character and our personality. Uh, it, it's our grief, our joy, our desires, understanding, reasoning, our faith, our beliefs. Everything is produced in the heart. I mean, the heart relates to the mind, doesn't it? Even what comes out of the mouth begins in the heart. So I want you to consider the ramifications of the heart. Acts 28, 27 says this, for this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely, excuse me, with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, I would heal them. The hardness of a heart shuts down our understanding. It leads us to not hearing, not seeing, but turning away. Can that happen to a Christian believer? Yes. 
because the disciples faced this matter head on while walking with Jesus during His earthly ministry. The disciples were concerned about their food supply, their bread, literally the bread they were concerned about, even though Jesus had just fed thousands with a little boy's lunch. Few loaves from a little boy's lunch, they forgot. Mark 8, 17. This is what it is. And Jesus, said, or Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Again, we see that the hardening of the heart is related to our perception and understanding. When these are infected, guess what? We begin to turn from God, and this is within, all within our freedom of the will. It is all within our freedom of the will. We choose this path. The heart condition that Jesus, excuse me, the heart condition that Jesus was pointing out to the disciples was one that led to the inability to see, to hear, to understand, or even remember. Even remember. So it's easy to see this in non-believers. Oh, so easy. Because this is the place where they reject Christ due to the hardness of their hearts, right? He gives them over to their depravity. It's easy to see. Fine, I'm going to let you live the exact way you want to live. In fact, look, look at Psalm 8112. Psalm 8112 says, So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. But with Christians, this is a tougher pill to swallow. When we think about the disciples, when we think about us, right? What are our inclinations here? Are we more inclined to go at it on our own, right? Are we, more, are we inclined to choose our own way, to lean on our own thinking? King Solomon states in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Yes, you and I as believers can still have our hearts hardened, but what are we hardening our hearts towards? We believe in God, Oh, he exists. I don't blame God. I believe in salvation. I believe in the guarantee. I believe in the Holy Spirit that indwells me. So what are we, what, what are we, what's going on with the Christian? Just like the disciples. Well, guess what? Your hardened heart can be towards God. You can be angry with God. It can be towards his church, universal, his local church here, Grace Fellowship, the people, the pastor, the leaders. You can have a problem with so many. His word, yep, his will, yes. Your heart can be hardened to all those things. I've got to ask you some questions. Do you find yourself always being critical? Just think about this. Do you find yourself always being critical? Do you find yourself um, seeing the bad over the good? Uh, maybe you are disruptive when it comes to making peace. Do you find yourself bitter? Do you find yourself resentful? Uh, are you unforgiving? Are you isolating yourself from God? Are you isolating yourself from others? Are you prideful? Are you indifferent? Um, are you unsympathetic? Have you forgotten about the blessings that God has given you? Think about those things. See, the list can go on and on. It can go on and on. Your choices and decisions stem from your freedom to choose. Not only can these choices and decisions cause the hardening of the heart, 
Not only can they cause it, guess what? They come from a hardened heart. This is this is dangerous place to be for a Christian. So what do we do? It's going to sound so easy and so elementary, but it's not. What do we do as Christians? Just like non-believers, the first thing we do is we have to turn to God. And you may say, oh, pastor, that's just a bullet point. That's easy. No, it's not. We have to turn to God. God, I need help with my heart condition, and I need help right now. I am desperate. You know what David said in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24? He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God. If you find a problem, search me. If you find a problem, God, if you find an issue, please lead me away from it. Get me out of there, God. This is the kind of repentance that we see in a changed life. That's the kind of repentance we want to see with non-believers when they turn to God. We're no different. We are no different. We, too, need to ask God to search our hearts because there may be a problem. I love this next scripture because it sums up what we need to do as a Christian believer. Look at this. Everybody, it's Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Folks, listen to what this verse is telling us. We guard our hearts with his word. And we seek him with the same guarded heart. God, keep me close to you. Keep me close to what you have commanded. Keep me close to what and how you want me to choose. I am desperately needing your word to fill my heart and mind so that I make the right decisions and do not sin against you because I do not want separation. I do not want distance to grow between us. I do not want to turn away. See, our freedom in choosing God's word results in our obedience and love for him and his word. It results in obedience. This protects the heart. It nurtures a soft heart. God's Word protects and nurtures a soft heart. It protects and nurtures a pure heart. It protects and nurtures one that is receptive to the blessings that we receive. And not forget, like the disciples, to remember. What did the Lord say to Joshua in the very beginning, before this conquest? Look at Joshua 1.8. They'll put it up here. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And he did. Folks, we are responsible. We are responsible for our decisions in our freedom to choose between life and death, between blessing and curse. This freedom of the will is exercised. And it's easy. I know it's easy to see the judgment of this world uh, where God's giving over them, them over to their depraved minds and hearts. We see that, them being allowed to continue in their sin and their way of living because God has allowed it. I'll fine. I will give you the freedom to choose that. You can reject me and you can live that. In fact, I'm going to strengthen that if that's the way you want to live. The Canaanites that Joshua destroyed in this chapter, they were strengthened by God. Their hearts were strengthened. Our hearts too. 
our hearts can begin to harden. It is a dangerous place to be because only God can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. See, God desires us to live to the fullest. He really does. And the fullness of one's life has to be grounded in His Word. And in order for this to happen, our hearts have to be guarded. They have to be protected, and they have to be nurtured. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Christians, your hearts are in danger of growing dull. Your hearts are in danger of becoming hard. You and I will always have to choose between good and evil. We are to this day. We will always continually have to choose between good and evil. And if we are living in obedience to God and His Word, we will choose good. We will. Being in His will, walking in the, having the same frame of mind, we will choose Him. We will choose His will. But if we are li- living under the enslaving power of sin, which leads to disobedience, which in turn begins to harden the heart, we are not going to choose good, will we? We will not choose good. I like the way Billy Graham puts it. Billy Graham said this, in the physical sense, hunger is a sign of life. It is. If you're alive, you have to eat. Hunger is a sign of life. Dead men need no food. They crave no water. Humans must have nourishment or they'll starve. We all agree with that. The Bible teaches that the soul, the heart, It must feed on the things of God, otherwise one's heart can become hardened. So starving the heart, folks, starving the soul is one of the most dangerous processes that can take place in a person's life. It is a dangerous place to be. So in the freedom of your will, are you feeding on the things of God? Are you choosing life? Are you choosing blessing? Are you being obedient to the Word of God so that you guard your heart? Because that's the emphasis here. Or has it began? Are you already there? Is, are you living right now with a hardened heart? Are you living right now with a dulled heart? Because what happens is that you're unable to see, you're unable to hear, you're unable to understand because you've turned away. And this happens. This happens in the church. Here's the answer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See, in the freedom that God has given you to reach out to Him, in that freedom to ask for this, that's what we need to do. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today humbled. Father God, you are holy. You are our almighty King. Father God, you hold the world together. Lord, we know that you have put us here and you've given each of us a heart. And that desire of the heart, Father, is to be directed towards you. That was the design to love you. And sin corrupted that. Sin has corrupted that. We live in a world today that constantly rejects you. But Father, we too, even as believers, have the danger of turning away from you because of our hearts hardening. And we've talked about the things that can do that. And what's the cure? God, you're the only cure. We are to call on you and ask you to search us, convict us, reveal it to us so that we can guard our hearts. The only way to be obedient to you is to have a heart for you. 
The only way to live according to your will is to be lined up in your will. Father, we need your word to protect, guard, and nurture our hearts. That's the prayer today, Father. Let all of us scream out to you, search me, O God, and know my heart. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for myself, Lord, that we continue on a path that every time a choice between good and evil comes, Father, we choose the good because you've commanded it. You want us to be obedient to your word. How do we do that? We have to be grounded in your word. We have to know your word. Father, search us. Draw us close to you because that is the only way for us to succeed. We see that in Joshua. We see that the Canaanites deserved everything they got. We see Pharaoh in Egypt deserved what they got. The people of this world, they soon will des- they'll be on the receiving end of what they deserve. But for the Christian, for the believer who loves you, who's in love with you, Father God, turn our hearts always to you. Direct us to you. We're praying that you keep us close and that you continually search us and know our hearts. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this great day. We thank you for the music. We thank you for the word. You are a gracious and loving and faithful God, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.